St. James, welcome to the 1030 service. Uh, I, have, I have three quick announcements for you, and then youth group's going to make an announcement. Uh, so first of all, uh, Wednesday evening Lent services at 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, we're going to meet here for service. I'm going to preach uh, through the seven deadly sins, and I realize that there's not that many weeks left, that there's not many weeks, that there's not that many weeks in Lent. I don't know what I'm going to do with the spare two. I'll have to decide which ones I don't talk about. But that will be really interesting because it's talking about sin. And so uh, please, come, uh, please plan on coming to those uh, Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Afterwards, there's uh, pastries and donuts and whatnot that, that people bring, and we hang out downstairs and uh, just spend time with each other. So Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock up until Holy Week, and then Holy Week will have a different schedule. Second thing is, is this is the last Sunday where we're separating into two services. Starting next Sunday, uh, we're just going to have one worship service, but that means a uh, big shift in the time. So we will no longer have worship service at 10.30. It will now be at 9 o'clock, which if you're new, that was the time two, two years ago before COVID was worship service was at 9, and then Bible study is at 
So um, just a couple things about that. One is because we're not going to have two services. We can spend more time. Uh, some of you have asked about this, singing through the, singing the liturgy. Instead of just saying it, we're going to try and do more of that. Uh, also, um, Bible study at 10.30, the adults are working through, we just started this week working through uh, eschatology. What does the Bible say about the end times and the last things? Please plan, if, uh, please plan adults on hanging out with us uh, for that. Also, teens and uh, junior high students and uh, the little kids will also still have Bible study at 10.30 uh, starting next week. So that, uh, next week is also the clock change. So if that helps you kind of put all your changes into one big, um, one, one big day. Also, maybe too, speaking of that, if I can talk to the live stream people for a little bit. I, I know some of you are, um, you, you know, you're not here for health reasons, and I totally respect that, and I want you to stay home and stay safe, and we're going to keep doing the live stream. But a lot of you who maybe have get, just gotten into the habit of not coming back to church, maybe next week would be a good time to come back to church and be in community and receive the gift of sacrament, and we would love to have you back, and it won't be embarrassing, and nobody will be like, whoa, where have you been? So uh, please, uh, maybe next week, all of us in one service, we can uh, start trying to get back to church normal. I know that uh, normal is always a shifting thing. It's never a thing you can go back to. But maybe time-wise and schedule-wise, we can start doing that next week. Okay, last thing. And uh, what did I have? Oh, new members class in two weeks. Uh, Sunday, Dece- uh, uh, March 20th, we'll start a new, new members class at 6.30 p.m. So if you're thinking about joining the church or... If you've joined the church but just want to learn more about Christianity, it's basically a Christianity 101 class. Or if you just want to hang out with people and talk about theology and philosophy and history and things like that and eat donuts, you can do that too. Lots of times people who are already members will come and join the new members class. That'll be at 6.30, two weeks from now. If, you are, if you're planning on doing that, could you let me know? And if, you, if you forget to let me know, it's not a big deal. But I'll print out like study guide materials for you if, um, if I know you're going to be there. If you want to join or do something like a new members class, but Sunday night does not work for you, please let me know, and I will bend over backwards to do something, um, do something different with you. All right, that's all I have. Stacy and Sophie are going to come now and talk about youth group stuff. Now is it on? Okay. All right. Well, this is the kind of fun shenanigans we love to do in youth group. If you are in sixth grade, seventh grade, or eighth grade, you are junior high, so you should come join us on Tuesday nights with our senior high. We all meet together Tuesday nights here at the church at 6.30. Okay, so I do have one of my girls here with me this morning to talk about our national youth gathering. We're going to Texas this summer, so uh, Sophie, hi. Hello. <laughs> So I'm a senior this year, and this is kind of like the last year I can go to the National Youth Gathering. I've never been there before, but Katie, Kylie Van, my aunt, she says that she went there a couple years ago, and it was super fun. And one of the things I'm looking forward to is just spending time with friends and the youth group leaders. It'll be really fun. But in the Narthex, there's a new fundraiser that we're doing. There's a, a bulletin board with envelopes on it. And there's a number on the envelopes. It goes from like, I think, $1 to like somewhere in the hundreds. And you can take that home and then put some money in there. So yeah, help us out. We're poor. Thank you. All right. All right, let's stand. Let me fix myself here. Sorry. Give me two seconds. All right. That's not awkward at all, was it? All right, 
Let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, jump into worship. Uh, Father, be with us this morning. Uh, all of us who are uh, halfway self-aware uh, know that we have struggles, temptations that we need to fight and frequently don't fight, and sometimes only fight half-heartedly. Uh, Father, would you work by the power of your Holy Spirit and the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, to us through your Holy Spirit? Would you work Jesus' power to resist the devil in our lives? Use your word to do this. Use community to do this. Use your sacraments to do this. Use the praise and worship that we're about to give and offer to you in return for your grace. Use it as a way to orient our hearts towards the love of you, which would help us fight off temptation. That's what we need this morning, Father. We need you to give us this gift. We're asking you this in the name of uh, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's pray and confess our sins to God. Holy, 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 you are, O Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Your holiness frightens us. It fills us with awe. It fills us with wonder. What else can we do but fall down before you and confess our woe? We are lost. We are a people of unclean lips and unclean thoughts. The light of your holiness only reveals the darkness of our sin. Holy, 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 you are, O Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Your holiness is white hot, converting our sin. Send your seraphim to us with burning coals from your altar, that our guilt be taken away and our sin forgiven. Holy, 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 you are, O Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Your holiness is frightening, all-consuming. Sanctify us to your service. Make us holy that we might be your people, that we might reflect your glory and serve you forever. In the name of Jesus we pray, whoever stands before the altar of heaven, our mediator, who presents before your holy majesty our prayer and supplication, now and evermore. Amen. Upon this your confession, I announce the grace of God to all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Savior Jesus, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stay standing for this first hymn.
Psalm 91, verses 1 through 13. Let's read that together. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy 26. Moses tells the people, when you come into the land the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who's in the office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly, and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. And then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. 
And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who's among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle readings from Romans chapter 10. It's a classic salvation text. Paul's announcing the day of the Lord. He says this, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
stand for the gospel reading? And that's a, good, that's a great hymn to go into this gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 4. Glory to you, O Lord. In Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, key point, temptation of sin is not something, like Jesus is thrust into the desert. Jesus' temptation is not some sort of accident. God's plan the whole time was to send Jesus to do battle with Satan and beat him. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, uh, which is where he was baptized, received the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the announcement that he was God's son. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you. You may be seated. So let's talk about, of course, Jesus' temptation here, which is a, um, a key part of his story, a key part of the battle that he does against the enemy. Let's talk in... in Let's talk about how, what we can learn from Jesus about grappling with temptation ourselves too. I, um, I'm assuming that everybody uh, um, fights temptation. I, I, I don't know, I, I, in the first service I made this little apology. I guess I, I should do it whenever I talk about this. I, I shouldn't assume that we all agree that we should fight temptation. Uh, we're, we're living, let me make an argument for, for a few minutes of why it's important that we fight temptation. Because we're living in a cultural moment, it's, it's always important to fight temptation, but we're living in a cultural moment now where for the past, since the 1960s, for the past 50 years, we as Westerners have told ourselves over and over and over again that we need to follow our own hearts and to do, like we need to be us and we need to like, uh, you know, we, we have our, we're, we're the captain of our own fate and the masters of our own destiny. And you really have to make decisions that are right for you. And what, what we've done is, um, but we also, so what we're seeing is we're seeing the outworking of that, that philosophy in our culture. Now, both sides of the ideological spectrum, wherever you're at, whatever, left and right, whatever that means, we all agree that like the world is sort of crumbling around us, that, that things are chaotic and that the world is not a good place to be in right now. But what we're unwilling to see is our own role in bringing that about. We've convinced ourselves, so, so, so again, we're living in this moment where we're, we've told ourselves, believe in yourself, follow your own heart. You know, think about whatever, whatever your favorite Disney movie is. And we're seeing the fruits of that. And so we're seeing this other, like we're, this other movement here, which is like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. We've got to start teaching everybody to be responsible citizens. 
because we've got to counteract the chaos in the culture, and we don't connect the two things. Um, Harry and I yesterday were at a, a local school uh, for a music competition, and I think some of you were probably there as well. But we, we, one of the things that fascinates me by uh, you know the slogans that we put up in the walls of our schools in, in, in our in our civilization are all the sayings that kind of like are, reflect both of these things. So several places I saw believe in yourself, right? And in fact, I, I always feel like I have to apologize if I if I tell you guys that the message of the Bible is don't believe in yourself. I feel like I'm undermining the sweet dreams of so many of you postmoderns out there. Don't think I'm an evil person. This is not like some sort of like a Scrooge here. But so all these signs, like, you know, believe in yourself. I saw several times. I saw one time I saw, um, um, you know, uh, follow your heart, lots of stuff like that. But also uh, along with those were these like, be responsible, like be honest. That's all over the place too. And, And my question when I walk around is, how do those two things go together? Like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to follow my heart or am I supposed to be honest? Because honestly, I frequently like to lie when it's convenient for me. So, so what am I supposed to do here? And what we're doing is we're trying to like thread the needle between those two things. We want the freedom of just everybody following their own heart. You kind of want to navel gaze and look deep down inside yourself for truth. That brings chaos into the culture though. And when, we, when that chaos happens, we want there to be sort of some sort of like barriers. Like we, we got to teach our kids to not steal. And those two things don't go together. And so what I think that we should do instead is, I'm going to give you three quick steps here that I think is actually a better way of dealing with this sort of moment crisis that we're going through right now. One is to say, to realize that many of our urges are not expressions of individuality. They're not basically, they're not primarily healthy self-expression, but they're primarily sinfulness. That's the first thing to do. I know that's kind of dark, but the second thing to do is this. And I want you to keep both of these things in your head. To first of all say that many of my urges are in fact sinful. But second of all, to say this. Not to try, don't try to simply suppress these urges because, here's why. That's kind of the fundamentalist take. Our urges are sinful, and so you gotta like discipline yourself and don't, don't do those bad urges. But here, I'm gonna, I think that what Jesus is gonna teach us this morning is this. One of the things he's gonna teach us is this is that don't simply try to suppress those urges because many of those urges, many of those urges are temptations to sin, yes, but they spring from God-given desires that are wrong because we're trying to fulfill them outside of God's plan. Like, more on that in just a minute, point number one. The goal here is not simply like, Jesus is teaching us, you've got to resist the devil. Because A, it's not possible you're going to fail. B, it's missing out on an extremely valuable point that the Bible wants to teach us, which is the, the problem of sinfulness is not bad urges. The problem with sinfulness is urges fulfilled in bad spots, bad places. In fact, if, if, if C.S. Lewis is right, and I would probably be an idiot to suggest that he wasn't about anything hardly, then the problem is not that we have too many urges, Lewis says. The problem is that our urges are not enough. Our urges are too weak. We're taking pleasure out of weak things instead of like super pleasurable things. Uh, More on that in the first point. Then, if those two things are the case, if our urges are sinful, but we shouldn't suppress them because they're actually come from God given desires frequently, then the third thing is we need to find the deeper satisfaction that our temptations point to in God himself. This is going to come up in the first point. But the problem, you know, sex isn't sinful. 
Sex is amazing and wonderful. What's bad about sex is when you have it outside of God's plan. Food is not sinful. Food is amazing and wonderful. The problem with food is when we worship it instead of God, which brings us to our first point. Jesus is going to help us to deal with, uh, got just basically the three points kind of go with the, each of the three temptations that Jesus goes through. And the first one, as you saw, has to do with food. Look down at verse three, will you? The devil says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, now he's super hungry by this time, right? 40 days without eating. Command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. So we all struggle with this. Um, but by the way, 10 seconds to say this. We like to picture Jesus sometimes as this divine, almost angel, almost transparent, like semi-real character, sort of floating along, you know, a couple of feet above the roads of Galilee and Jerusalem, kind of like dispensing rainbow dust and like, as uh, N.T. Wright says, hearing the sweet echoes of angel music in his ear as he floats around. Jesus is a real person. This is a real temptation. Jesus, we see this other places in the gospel. He really grapples with what Satan is offering him. This is not just a simple like, uh, go away, be gone. This is a real fight for him, okay? We should be encouraged by that. But he's really hungry, and Satan is saying, why don't you just make yourself some food? And like, We're all there. We're all there at times. Um, stick on food for a few minutes because that's one of my bugaboos. We are all, all of us have something that we believe, if I can get that, it's going to satisfy me. For me, it's frequently food. It's like I have, a, I have a, a gluttony problem. For other people, it's all different. For, for all of you, it's all different kinds of things. Something that you think, if I could have that, everything would be better. Everything would be fixed. If I could have that relationship repair, whatever. Um, there's all different kinds of examples. One, one I was thinking of was, uh, you know, you, there's people in our culture, we all value these people. They're the intrepids, right? They're, they're, they're the explorers. People who have all this energy and they're never, they're never content sitting still. They always have to be doing something and going somewhere and having adventures, which is great. That's it. If you're like that, like that's an amazing way to live your life. But if you make that the thing that's going to fulfill you, I cannot be fulfilled unless I have this thing, you are down the road, you're headed right down the road of idolatry and bad, 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 bad stuff. I was um, t- sharing with the first service, there's a, a professor of mine at Covenant named Richard Winter who taught uh, counseling. and He wrote a, bo- he wrote a book, and uh, in the, I'll tell you what the book's title was in just a second, I guess. In the book, uh, he was doing this study, and uh, he's a psychologist, and the, the, the study he was doing, I can't remember if he did the study or if he was reporting the study, but the gist of the study was this. A bunch of women who had committed adultery were interviewed by this study, and the question was asked, why did you do it? And the answer was different than it was for men. But it, it wasn't like, you know, raw sexual desire. That was, that was not hardly on the list at all. Which as a man, you know, you'd be like, well, that's, that's weird. It wasn't, it wasn't like anger at my husband. Almost, the vast majority of women who had had affairs reported back and said, I had the affair because I was bored. I just, my life had just become humdrum. And it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And it's just day to day and boring. And I saw this out, and I knew I shouldn't have done it, but it was a chance for excitement just for a few minutes, even when I knew there was a price to pay for it. This is the kind of thing, like excitement, you know, experiences, excitement, that's great. But if it becomes the thing that we are convinced will finally satisfy us, 
If food or sex or power or money or a career advancement or academic success becomes the thing that we are convinced, I'll be happy if I get that. A relationship. If I can have that relationship, I will be. We're ripe for the picking from Satan. And Jesus says to him, here's here's Jesus' response to this. It gets right at the heart of it because he says to him, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, which is a quote of Deuteronomy 8, chapter uh, chapter 8, verse 3. But Jesus is leaving out part of the quote. He's just giving kind of the, the, the hook of the quote. If you go back and look at the rest of the quote, you know what he's telling Satan here, which is this. Let me read it to you. God humbled Israel and let Israel hunger, fed her with manna, which you did not know, Israel, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. That's the part that Jesus quotes. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We don't live by bread. We don't live by power. We don't live by sex. We don't live by relationship affirmation. We don't live by career advancement. We don't live by hard work. All those things are amazingly good, and we should enjoy those things as gifts of God, but we don't live by them because we live by the voice of our Father. That's our bread. That's our relationship juice. That's the thing that gets us up in the morning is the voice. All I need is the loving voice of my Father, the word of the Lord, Jesus says. You see what he's doing? What's the key to defeating temptation when temptation comes your way and says, you know what, the only way you're going to be happy is if X. The key is not to say, okay, well, I'll give into it. That's my method. Don't do that. That's not good. The key is also not to say, I'm going to fight against that. I'm going to fight. I'm going to put that down. I'm not going to do that. The key is not to do that. You will fail. The key is to say, you know what, actually that desire is really going to be fed by? My desire for food, sex, money, power, achievement, it's actually it's actually an arrow to my heavenly father. And if I go there, I can get that desire that I'm actually yearning fulfilled. The gospel fulfills the desires that our sinful desires are wrongly uh, wrongly chasing after. Go to Jesus, go to the gospel. Jesus doesn't say, you're wrong, get out of here. He just says, I don't need that. I actually don't need bread as much as I need the voice of my father. I'm going back to him. Second thing. Verses 9 through 12, let me read these again. uh, uh, Satan takes Jesus to Jerusalem and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped verse uh, 5. I jumped down to verse 9. Go to verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, Satan says, and I give it to whom I will. Jesus doesn't argue with him or ask any questions. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it's, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This, what Satan is offering him here, is the primal sin. You can be like God. Look deep within yourself. Examine yourself. You can be God. That power should be yours. Grab it. I can give it to you. We all, this is, some, some of us want to rule the world. Most of you probably don't, thank goodness. But all of us want to rule some part of our lives. And, we, and we're convinced that if I have that, everything will be okay. And Jesus says, actually, I'm not even, Jesus doesn't even argue with him. Jesus doesn't say, actually, my father rules the world. He doesn't do that. It's more helpful for us that he answers the way that he does. It's more helpful for us that he says, well, he quotes from uh, Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15. Let me quote that to us now. And the Lord your God brings, and when the Lord, again, this is all, all these are from Deuteronomy. He quotes all from like the same passage in Deuteronomy. And he says, 
When the Lord your God, Moses says to Israel, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's the Lord your God you shall fear. That's the, uh, th- this is the verse he quotes. It's a little bit different. Uh, the Hebrew says, Lord your God you shall fear. Jesus quotes the Septuagint, the Lord your God you shall worship. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the world. Look, here's what he's saying. Uh, let me say it this way. This is, this is what's hard about Christianity. I understand. If you're struggling with Christianity, this is one of the hard parts. Is that it's not just a philosophy. It's actually an orientation of yourself as under authority. And Harry and I were, um, we were talking about a historian that we both are familiar with, that we both like. I really like him. And he's a guy who was um, agnostic. He writes about ancient Greece and Persia and Rome. That's his kind of his field of study. He was an agnostic. He recently wrote a book about Christianity and the history of Christianity and he slowly began to shift towards Christianity. And uh, the, the, when he got done writing this book, the, the, the main theme of the book was that everything that's good in Western culture is there because of Christianity. And I, I'm not going to give you the, the whole book, but it's, it's, it's pretty convincing. But, and he says, I've actually become in some sense a Christian. I listened to an interview with him and a theologian that I like, and it was interviewing him, and he said, so... so would you describe yourself as a Christian now? And he said, yeah, I guess I would. And he said, well, but, but like, where are you at with Jesus? And the historian said, I don't know yet. I don't know. And I thought that was fascinating because he's on this really good trajectory. I'm really encouraged about him. He's on this really good trajectory from there's no such thing as truth, that you can't know if there's a God out there. All you can just, you have yourself. You can search inside yourself to find truth. That's all, that's the only truth you can have is your own personal truth. And he's moved along from that to like, I think that Christianity historically happened. I think this dude got born and was killed by Rome and rose from the dead. Now, what does that mean for me? I don't know yet. Do you see what the last barrier is? The last barrier is this primal idol. To say, okay, I'm in. Jesus rose from the dead. Says, Jesus is Lord and I'm not. That changes the way I make career decisions money decisions, relationship decisions. If I'm not God and somebody else is, I don't get to do what I want anymore. And that's a really good place for all of us to be at, to realize that point. And he has too. And I'm super encouraged he's there. But what I want to say to him is not, you know, what's at stake here is not, okay, you believe in Jesus, now you're a helpless worm. You do what you're told. That's not what the Bible ever says. I quoted a lot, just a few weeks ago, I quoted from Romans 5. God has designed you and me, Adam and Eve, and because they fell, me and you now, he has designed us to rule and reign, to have power over his creation, but under him, it's his power. And what, The problem, though, is that we want power, but we want God's power. We want God's power. And Satan is offering him God's power. You can rule over the whole world, but you can see what's kind of sliding in the back door. To get there, you have to worship me. If you worship me, I'll make you God. But if you worship him, there's no way you're ever going to be God because if you worship him, he's going to be God. That's the trick. And we worship all these things. Nobody, probably nobody in here is worshiping Satan, I, you know, I pray. 
But we worship all these things. Like we worship money and we're like, I'm going to give my life to money because it's going to make me happy. But look yourself in the mirror and tell me that it's not true that you're actually working for money at this point. That you believed it. If you, if you worship me, I'll give you the world. And then you turn around and you're actually a slave. And it's the same thing, like I said in point one, with sex or food or, or you know, power, whatever it is. But here's the antidote. Not that you have to give up power, but that God gives you power. And the key is back on that Deuteronomy quote. The context of the Deuteronomy quote is not, so now you have to be worms and worship God and just grovel. It's this. The, the whole context was, remember you used to be slaves in Egypt. Remember that? You had zero power. You were disenfranchised. You were oppressed. You were marginalized. I rescued you out of that so that you could be your own free, sovereign people. All I'm asking you to do is remember that I'm the one who did that. Nobody else liberated you. No other God in the world has the power to rescue you from slavery. I did and worshiped me. So what do you, what, what do you say? When you worship God, you will have power. If you, do you want power? Do you want control? If you submit yourself to Jesus Christ, you will have power and control. If you don't, you'll lose power and control to whatever else that you inevitably will worship. Because human beings were not made to be in charge. We're made to serve. It's the famous Bob Dylan quote from his uh, CCM album from 1978. You're going to serve somebody. You have to. Nobody can be the king of the world except for Jesus. And it's either going to be God or it's going to be mammon. It's either going to be God or power, God or career advancement, God or prestige, God or respectability, God or relationship success. It's going to be something. And whatever it is that's not God is going to own you. And the choice is, do you want to be a slave again? Do you want to go back to Egypt? Or do you want to worship the one true God in Jesus Christ and be free? Let me say it to you this way. We all want control over ourselves. Adam and Eve did. This is what got them in, in trouble. Is it bad to want control of yourself? No. What's bad is to try to get it outside of God. Look, do you want control of yourself? Scripture says there's one way to do it. The fruit of the Spirit. One of them is self-control. Isn't this ironic? By trying to control your own business and run yourself, you become a slave. But by submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit, you actually get self-control, control of yourself. You want to be in charge of yourself? Jesus insists here, worship the Lord your God. Him only you can serve. You can't give me power, Satan. My Father can give me power. And it's the same for you guys. When Satan says, you know, get angry because things aren't going your way at work or at family or whatever, that's, that's, this is the same sort of like power, power. Don't be like, okay, I've got to just like squelch that urge. Tell yourself that by submitting to Jesus, by feeding on him, he finally, for the first time, will give you the control that you need, the power that you need. He's called us to be his vice regents here on this earth. It's going to happen. That's the second thing. So both these, can you see both these things? Both of these temptations are fought not with trying to squelch your desires, but by finding the fulfillment of those desires in the gospel. Third and last one, verses 9 through 12. He took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. That's, that's significant here. And set, so that's very, very high up. If you jump on to, uh, uh, Revy and I were looking at Google Street View a few weeks ago. You can go, uh, you know, do, do, do like the Google Street View in the road that runs kind of along the Kidron Valley in between the Mount, in Jerusalem, in between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount, which you can still see the walls of the Temple Mount and the top of the Dome of the Rock. So get on that road and then look up towards where the temple was. And it's like this steeper than 45 degree angle. You know, Jerusalem's built on that hill because it's defensible. And 
Satan takes Jesus up there and sets him over this really, really, really big drop. And he says this, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. He quotes from the Psalms. He quotes, in fact, from the Psalm that we just read a few minutes ago at the beginning of the service, which by the way, I love that. Like Satan uses that text to try and defeat Jesus. What do we do with that text? We just read it out loud together. He's not going to steal that from us. That's our, that's, our, that's, that's our psalm. Jesus answered him, it said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the devil's done and he leaves. Uh, what's going on here? What's the temptation here? The temptation is this. Satan is telling Jesus this. Your own heart's going to tell you this frequently. Mine tells me this all the time. Look, if God is all powerful and he's all good, nothing bad can happen to you, Right? because he loves you so much, and he's so powerful. Throw yourself down, there's no way that you're going to get hurt, right? I mean, this is his house we're at. We're at the temple. When will you ever be closer to him, Jesus? Pitch yourself off of here. He's so powerful and so loving that you're going to be rescued. And the temptation, of course, is this. We've all been there. We've all been there. Like, God, will you do this for me? And this sense of deep frustration when it doesn't happen. Like, you know, God... Where are you at? Can, are you even here? Are you even listening to me? I've told this story in here before. Ted Turner loves to tell this story. So Ted Turner, extremely rich man, a very, very famous uh, atheist. I think he describes himself as an agnostic now. So I don't know, maybe he's making progress, if that is progress. I'm not sure. Anyway, he talks about how he used to be real religious when he was a kid. He was very try, he's, I'm try out Christianity, very, very devoted. And his sister, who he loved, got extremely sick. And he prayed to God, and he said, God, if you heal my sister... I will believe in you forever and serve you and worship you forever. And his sister died. And he said, that's it, I'm done. I'm not gonna pray to this God who's supposed to, be, supposed to be good and loving. And then he does this. Well, I don't need a God like that. He's very, that's the story. He's not just like philosophically agnostic, he's militantly agnostic, uh, Ted Turner is. And the reason why is, is because he fell for this temptation. Throw yourself down. God is so good and loving. He's here to serve you. He's here to make you, he's here to protect you and make good things happen to you. And Jesus says back to him, he says, he quotes uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6.16. I'm gonna quote the whole thing to you. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You brought us out here into the desert, Israel said at Massa, and now we're thirsty. And if you're a good God and a loving God, where's our water? It's your job to give us water, right? Where's it at? That's the putting, that's the, putting the, 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 the Lord, their God, to the test that they did. And Satan's doing the same thing, and Jesus gives them the exact same response that Moses gave the people of Israel. You don't test the Lord your God. What's he mean by don't? What does that have to do with anything? How can, we, how can we see the gospel in this? How can we fight this off? And it goes like this. Look, whatever it is that you say, whatever it is that you say, God, if you'll do this for me, I will worship you forever. That is is actually your God. If you say, God, if you heal my sister, I'll worship you forever, your sister's health is actually your God. And God, as much as you might respect him and respect his authority or whatever, he's actually a sub-God whose job is to make your sister healthy. If you say, I'm preaching at the choir here, I told you before, like one of the reasons why I abandoned the faith was I got fired from a job. What was I doing? Like, God, I'm a pastor for you. If you can give me employment, give me the respectability of being able to stand in front of people who are forced to listen to me because whatever the reason, come, guys come to church, I don't know why. 
Give me that respectability of like people listen to me talk. Give me the paycheck. Give me sort of the security of knowing my wife and kids have a place to live. God, if you do that for me, I'll worship and serve you. And God takes away my God. He takes away my ultimate goodness and I abandon him. Why? Because I I wasn't worshiping him in the first place. I was using him as a tool to get the thing that I really was worshiping. And that's what Jesus is saying to Satan. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing this. I'm not playing this game with you. My father is not a tool to use to make my life easy, especially when you know how his life ended up more on that in just a minute. Worship the Lord your God only. Do not test the Lord your God. Do not turn, and whatever, whatever it is for you, whatever, I don't know, whatever the thing is for you that you're like, I need God to do this for me. So what this means is this. I lose my job. What's my response? What should my response have been when I got fired, my, my response should have been, take the world but give me Jesus. What is the world to me with all its costly treasures? My Jesus is my own. That's what, that, that should have been my response. I don't need anything else. We just sang that at the end of this hymn. Take the goods. Take the children. This is, I can hardly choke this out. Take the wife if you must. I don't want you to, but if you do, I will still have everything that I need. I will still have my life because I will still have my God. So many of us abandon the faith or attempted to abandon the faith when things don't go the way we want to. And all Jesus is saying is, stop worshiping these things that you want God to get you and start worshiping the one true God. And then enjoy those things as his gifts to you. By the way, bonus material, I didn't do this in the first service. If you do this, if we worship the Lord our God only, it will free us to actually love our jobs, to love our money in a good, healthy way, to love our health, to love our spouses, to love our friends, because we won't need them to be God for us. We won't need them to fulfill us, to serve us. Instead, we can just love and serve them because we've already got all the fulfillment we need from our Father. Okay, that's the three. If anybody's paying attention, again, self-awareness time. I can give us all these good points. I know these good points. I've thought about them a lot this week. I've actually thought about them a lot in my life. I am a chronic caver into temptation. Uh, the, the five of us, my family, is reading a, a, a Lent devotional book, and the reading for yesterday, uh, it's, it's got readings for every day. The reading for yesterday was actually this, the gospel reading for this morning, uh, but the writer uh, said at one point uh, in, in the, kind, of, kind of the follow-up, uh, you know, his, his comment on the text, he said, uh, the funny thing is, is like n- none of us know what Jesus is going through. And, and some of that has to do with the fact that Jesus is divine and Satan's got his own special brand of intense attack for him. Some of it has to do with the fact, though, that none of us ever hardly get close to being as strong as Jesus. We, we all cave in. <laughs> like, it doesn't take much for me to, like, the first temptation, like, hey, get yourself some food and you'll be okay. Like, I, I don't need much convincing to, to, to cave into that one, you know? Um, uh, C.S. Lewis says in the screw tape letters, like, he says the best thing about temptation is, is, one of the things you can do is it's super easy to convince the humans that they can get rid of the temptation by giving into it. Like the best, the best way to deal with like, the best, day, the best way to deal with lust is to give in to lust and it'll go away. He said the humans fall for that all the time. And of course it's not true, but they cave in so often that they get themselves trapped in this sin. And you know, I know that like fighting against, even, even like being like, okay, Jesus, this is a great example Jesus sets for us with this scripture and like the, the gospel orientation and the theology he's using. We still cave in all the time. So what are we going to do with that? So what we need is we need Jesus not to be just an example for us, but we need Jesus to be doing this exact same thing 
for us, in us, through us. Which brings us to this point. Don't worry about this. You and I, we all cave into temptation all the time. It's not good. Repent and believe the gospel. It's not necessarily all your fault. This goes back to the first time that Satan showed up and said, hey, do you want pleasure? Do you want something good to eat? Do you want to be like God? And in Adam and Eve, we all were like, oh yeah, that sounds great, and fell. We've always done this. Humans have always done this. The story that this, the story that our gospel story here is like tapping into is the children of Israel in the desert. Did you catch that? So Jesus is 40 days in the desert being tempted. Um, Israel was 40 years in the wilderness. That's one link there. Jesus is constantly quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, which was a book written to the people in the wilderness to encourage them not to give in to these temptations. And Jesus is pulling that back in. Israel caved into the temptation to, to you know, power and uh, you know, uh, food and pleasure and all that stuff too. Jesus, though, this is the first time and the only time that Satan comes to a human being and says, I got this, and does not win. Tries every angle of attack and is repulsed at every hand because he's dealing with somebody who doesn't need what he's offering. He's dealing with somebody who's perfectly content with his relationship with his father and doesn't have any sort of gaps that he needs filled up with money or food or sex or power. How do we tap into that? Here's the good news. This is kind of uh, it's, it's, uh, um, uh, alluded to here in this last temptation and one of the reasons why Mark moves this temptation to the end. Mark has, Je- I'm sorry, Luke, I, I meant Luke. Satan has Jesus standing on the pinnacle of the temple. He's like, I'm going to get you as close to your father as possible and say, now jump off. Now make God a servant to you. But what Jesus knows is this, is that the temple ain't nothing. It's just a pile of bricks. The temple isn't anything because Jesus is the temple. And Satan has no clue what's going on because he's determined here, like he is when he puts it into the heart of Judas, to get rid of this guy who keeps on messing me up. And he's going to do it. At some point, he can't convince Jesus to jump off and commit suicide off the temple or trick himself into falling and getting killed. But he can convince Judas to killing the guy. But what, what Satan doesn't know is that unleashes Jesus' power. Like, so Satan's ticked off that one person can beat him. But what's happening now is because Jesus dies on the cross and is raised from the dead, and because of that is given all the power in the universe, what Satan has unleashed is a world full of people who have been united to Jesus Christ in baptism by faith who now have this same power. One little, world, one little word will fell him. I give in to temptation all the time, but I don't need to. I'm not a slave anymore. I'm connected to Jesus Christ. At any point in time, I can say, Jesus, will you defend me? Now, Again, I'm still broken and sinful. He hasn't returned. I don't do that all the time. In fact, I won't even say I do that most of the time. Like, like God, forgive me. But the power to defeat Satan is there, and it, it, it's yours. Not because it's yours, because it was given to you in your baptism. You have the Holy Spirit. At any, point, at any point in time, you can say, Satan, I don't need you. I don't need food even. I don't need money or sex or power. I don't even need God to do stuff for me. Like, he's my father. I'm here and I'm his. And you need to be quiet. So it's the kind of thing that, that Luther would say when he had conversations with Satan. Is, is like, okay, so Satan, you keep on telling me that like, I'm a terrible sinner. Jesus died for terrible sinners. So you're actually 
reminding me of something that's a positive for me, Luther says to Satan. Say that to him. Tell him, like, I can't beat you, but I'm connected to one who did. I'm connected to one who doesn't need you, doesn't want you. You are defeated. The cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection does that for us. Okay, let's stand and pray, and we'll have communion together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, loving us and for always being good to us. Thank you for giving us yourself, Father. This fight against the enemy would be completely hopeless if we were doing this on our own. You, you know we would, we would give up. We do give up sometimes. Uh, please forgive us. But you have rescued us. You have sent the great warrior, the great prince, our captain, to unite us to himself and to defend us. And so, Father, make us bold in the face of the enemy's attacks. Make us bold in the face of our flesh's attacks. Make us bold in the face of our world's attacks, knowing that the victory is ours and that one little word has felled him. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray for everyone who's struggling right now, people who are struggling I, right now, Father, especially for people who are struggling with temptation. And uh, all of us are tempted all the time, Father, but I know that there are people here who are just overwhelmed by it, who feel beat down, who feel like they could never, ever get up off the mat, who feel like they've been bloodied and battered and that they're just waiting for you to come and rescue them. Father, will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you make them so aware of how you've given, themselves, given yourself to them that they'll be full of confidence and boldness, not their own confidence and boldness, but the confidence and boldness of knowing your son Jesus and knowing that he represents them against the enemy. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I also pray for everybody who's struggling with all different other kinds of physical ailments and uh, worry and fear and anxiety and lack of self-assurance, um, people who are struggling in relationships which are uh, broken and needed, mended, people who are lonely and don't really know where to turn. Um, Father, would you bless all of us in all of these different instances? And, and, and you, Father, by the power of your risen Son, would you meet our needs in all these areas? Father, I also pray especially that you would be with your church all across the world uh, this morning. I pray that you'd be with our sister LCMS churches and that uh, the preaching of your word and the celebration of your sacraments would redound to your glory. I pray for all the Bible-believing churches in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon. Father, may you strengthen us all in your faith. May you make us steadfast in your word. Will you drive us constantly back to your word for truth and for life and for salvation? May we see your kingdom grow immensely because of it. Father, I also pray, especially for your church this morning in uh, the Ukraine, and that you would bless your people there who are beleaguered. And Father, bring about righteousness and justice in that situation. Father, would you work in the hearts of the aggressors to love peace, to love wholeness, to abandon the fake power that they grasp onto but will never be able to wrap their fingers around, to, to, to love and embrace your power. Would you be with those who have been uh, hurt, those who are homeless, the families of those who, are been, who have been killed in this violence? Would you bring this war to a quick end and would you let righteousness and justice and mercy reign? Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray these things because you have united us to your son who won the battle for us in so many different ways, especially from the cross and from the empty tomb. And so we come into your throne room boldly asking these prayers in his name. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. This is found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
stand. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace.